0: Well, good morning, church family. Morning. If ever there was a time we needed Jesus, it is today. Amen? Amen. In America, when something happens, we, we rally together. When something bad happens, I believe with all my heart that this is the greatest history book that mankind will ever know. Amen? Amen. Today we're going to have a little bit of a history lesson, if you will. Uh, and today is we're focusing a little bit on disaster relief. And I want you to know first and foremost that I am not up here to see how many people I can recruit to uh, go and do mud outs and other kind of cleanup jobs. But if you so are moved to do so, we will not turn you away, okay? So in, in the, uh, the bulletin, and Donnie will explain this in detail, there's an insert about disaster relief and a link that you can go to to, uh, to make those, those connections. But Donnie does a much better job of explaining that sort of stuff than do I. So uh, this morning we're going to go ahead and, and jump into this a little bit. And I have entitled this message, uh, How Much of God Do We Really Want Today?, I think that's a a valid question for every person and every Christian who is here. How much of God do we really want today? You see, we say that. We want all of God that we can get, but do we really? And so I think there's something for us to ponder. And there's one way of making us ponder that that question and that, that topic even more so is when disasters hit. When the tornadoes came Back in 2011, we really wanted God, didn't we? And then just last year when they came through Fultondale and through here, we needed God right then. And it's times like that that we really, really tend to cry out more for God. So if you'll turn your Bibles with me to the book of Jeremiah, chapter number 29, and verse 11, we're going to read just a little bit here. And if you will, let's stand for the reading of God's inerrant, holy, and powerful word this morning. Jeremiah 29 and verse 11 through 14, and God says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me. And you'll come to me and pray to me. And I will listen to you. What a promise, amen? amen? You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes. And I will gather you from all the nations, from all the places that I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can call upon you and our prayers matter to you, that they're precious in your sight. We have an advocate named Jesus who is seated on your right hand, who is bringing bringing these prayers that we cry out straight to your holy throne. And so today, God, we ask that you would touch hearts, and Father, that you would search each heart, and we would respond as your Holy Spirit prompts us, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going today to read a history of some of these disasters and some of the disaster relief efforts that that have taken place and are taking place. And rather, this message is about a history lesson, if you will. And it's about those specific tragedies and the efforts to help those people. And so in early April of 1980, seismic scientists from all over America converged on the state of Washington. An active volcano named Mount St. Helens was displaying erratic behavior and it showed signs of extreme pressure on the northern side of the summit. On March the 10th, the evacuation for all people and livestock was ordered due to the impending eruption which was predicted. As people rushed to pack up their goods and belongings, one man named Harry R. Truman stood sternly on his ground and he refused all orders by the authorities. Harry told the reporter in a television interview, and I remember this one, no one knows this mountain better than old Harry and it don't dare blow up on him. By March the 27th, the pressure had built to an incredible degree to which has not been equaled by modern instruments even today. Following a series of earthquakes and violent steam eruptions, the festering lava and the explosive gases erupted. Steam venting from deep within the volcano began cutting fissures and channels across the face of the mountain, while a pyroclastic flow of molten earth and red-hot ash began an 80,000-foot journey into the Washington skyline. The thermal energy instantly removed 26 megatons of earth causing scorching mudslides as far as 50 miles on the south side of the mountain. Harry Truman remained in his lodge refusing to leave and faced the supersonic burning waves of ash which struck his house at over 600 miles per hour and in an an instant He and his animals were vaporized and swept into eternity. The Bible teaches us in Matthew chapter 24, verses 35 through 39, that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like in the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, they were marrying and giving in marriage until that day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them away. And so will be the coming of the Son of Man." While the warning signs were in place and issued to all of those in the area surrounding Mount St. Helens, some people did not heed the warnings. Approximately 57 lives were lost. Thousands of animals and millions of acres were stricken with the powerful force of the volcano. As the concussive winds over 600 miles per hour rushed down the mountain, earthquakes began ripping the the landscape apart. The approaching winds created by this volcanic explosion made their own atmosphere causing lightning bolts over three miles long due to the static electricity of the dust. The explosion caused glaciers to instantly melt causing flooding and intense mudslides wreaking and wrecking the countryside. The warning signs in the Bible are innately more accurate than those of modern scientists this day. Would you amen that? And yet the world stands as defiantly as Harry R. Truman did, not budging, not believing, and still standing saying they can predict the time and the place everything will end. Sadly, many Christians also remain quiet about the impending return of the Lord Jesus Christ. History is supposed to be a tool that all generations are to learn from and to make sure not to make those same mistakes nor follow those same pathways that cause calamity in our societies. Yet, we hear the warnings from the Lord and we put off doing what we know we should do. And I want to ask the question again: How much of God do we really want in our lives today? In Matthew, in the parable of the 10 virgins, Matthew 25, in verses 11 through uh, 12, says this. Later, the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, saying, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. Jesus urged these ten virgins all to be ready to have all of their affairs in order, to have all their things prepared. And only five of them did this. And as they stood knocking, I can only wonder The pain in Jesus' heart because they weren't prepared. And one day it's going to be like that when, when everything is taken away. There's going to be some sadness. So the world stood in horror as the news released the information concerning the greatest nuclear disaster of all mankind. On April the 26th of 1986, in a place called Chernobyl, Russia, operated by inadequately trained personnel, a flawed design reactor, and uninspected nuclear materials, the resulting energy produced by the reactor proved to be more than any of the Russian scientists could have ever predicted. As the reactor overheated, Massive amounts of radioactive material were released into the watershed areas of the city as well as into the atmosphere. As the reactor core began deteriorating and breaking down the 100-foot-thick sand surrounding walls, the core began a superheating process that turned the sand into glass in many areas. The contaminants released in the air were quickly dispersed into the area that we now know as modern-day Belarus which received approximately 70% of all the fallout. With immediate casualties involving the initial explosion, the tide of radiation began wreaking its toll outward into the outlying areas. Following the meltdown of the core, more explosions were recorded, which fractured the foundations resulting in leaking radioactive materials into the surrounding aquifers. Radiation poison was soon noted in animals, fish and other aquatic mammals, birds and humans, along with the vegetation, within an 80 to 90 mile radius of the epicenter. Soon after the accident, a sarcophagus was designed and was constructed to house the badly damaged reactor house. The emitting radiation soon de- destroyed and deteriorated that structure And as recently as 2017, it has been replaced with a newer version hoping to contain the deadly radiation. In 2021, a newly designed cleanup plan was implemented stating the process could be safely performed and it was considered no longer a hot zone. In the year 2065, on that dreadful day, the world realized how badly God was needed. Even non-believers were seeking a supernatural rescue for what could have been the end of the world as we knew it. People in Europe were fearful that the winds would change and the radioactive materials would, would drift toward their houses. And in Japan, people were, were fearful that if the winds changed, that they would soon be Devoured by yet another nuclear disaster. In Genesis chapter 18, Abraham pleads with God not to destroy the the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And God, in his mercy, he promises to spare a handful. In chapter 19, we see the final warning by the angels. And we see Abraham's nephew, Lot. Pleading with both the angels and his family for their lives, please. I'll not go through all the scriptures at this time, but I encourage you all to read Genesis 19 to get the full magnitude of the message. And in the end of it, God rains down fire and brimstone on all of Sodom and Gomorrah, scorching every one, animals, the land, the entirety of the city and the vegetation into a vast wasteland. And while the warning was heeded by some, we understand and we read where Lot's wife had to turn. She looked back toward that, the, the city of temptation and of sin instead of looking to where God was leading them. They needed God that day. One week from today, September the 11th, marks a day in history for America. On September the 11th, 2001, a well-planned attack against the United States of America took place. Radical Muslim terrorists engaged in the most horrific day recorded on mainland American soil. Fueled with hatred of America and of those who resided here, Al-Qaeda Islamist operatives hijacked commercial airliners and use them as missiles to fly into buildings and government facilities as a means of crippling economic and military aspects of the United States. Four well-planned attacks were carried out on America and the citizens of America that dreadful day. The first attack occurred on the North Tower of the World Trade Center complex at approximately 8.46 a.m. 17 minutes later at 9.03, another plane hit the South Tower, causing tremendous structural damage and immediate loss of lives of those in their workplace. At 0937 a.m., another plane struck the Pentagon causing a partial collapse of the wall, of the outside wall of the building. And while a fourth plane was on its way to Washington DC, the passengers aboard that flight managed to overtake the hijackers and the plane was forced to crash in a field in Pennsylvania. I remember that day vividly. It was a beautiful, clear day and everything seemed perfect. I delivered my son to school. And on the way home, I stopped at a friend's business. And another friend stopped and informed us of the news of the attack on America. At first, we, be- we believed it was an accident, as did most of the news and other people. But we would soon learn that we were under attack. And the hatred was the main cause. Within one hour and 46 minutes, both the north and south towers of the World Trade Center complex began to collapse to the ground. Surrounding buildings destroyed by the explosions and damaged deeply were stricken by the debris and they collapsed as well. This was the worst terroristic act ever committed on American soil. And the attack resulted in the deaths of 2,977 Americans who were swiftly swept into eternity. I remember that Tuesday night. I remember it well. Some of you probably did the same thing we did. We opened up our church building at Mount Carmel Baptist Church. People came in from all around. We'd, some of them we never saw before. Some of them we never saw afterwards. But that night, perfect strangers were gathered and they were holding hands with each other in prayer all around that church sanctuary because we needed God badly. And I'll tell you this, to go back to that question of how much do we really want God, how much of God do we really want in our lives today? We wanted all we could get. We needed all we could get. And can I tell you that today, we need all of God we can get in our lives. These three examples of disaster are to remind us of no matter of time, place, or the integrity of a structure, we are all vulnerable to catastrophe and the end results. And in as many ye- recent years, devastating events such as the Superstorm Sandy striking the Eastern seaboard, Hurricane Katrina and her flooding and dislocating tens of thousands all along the Gulf Coast. And even today, we are still engaged with a pandemic that we all know as the COVID-19 virus. And it has caused death and illness on a global scale. While we've taken a few minutes this morning to realize some of these historic moments of disasters in our lifetime, there was always the need for disaster relief, and it was close behind. Locally and on a statewide effort and level, and an effort and an opportunity that we simply call disaster relief, it's a means of assisting those who have been stricken by storms, flooding, or other natural events. And it's an organization that I feel passionate about enough to help those who either cannot help themselves or perhaps are simply overwhelmed by the magnitude of the event that they've suffered. On a large-scale effort, State Missions Board of Alabama oversees all these recovery efforts by sending teams donning these brightly yellow-colored shirts into the hardest-hit areas with assistance ranging from chainsaw work, machinery operations, flood recovery, food preparations, feeding teams, and even chaplaincy services to these friends and families and individuals who are needing help. Throughout the New Testament, we can find accounts where Jesus... And his disciples were involved in disaster relief as well. They were helping. They were feeding. They were providing spiritual help to those who were desperately in need. So this biblical mandate of going to provide help is something that every one of us should consider participating in. Amen? And so to go back, yeah, I guess I am recruiting a little bit. In Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 3, we see the disaster relief efforts. We see a man who is moved by God. He he realizes in his visions and, and, and through seeing this, that the walls of his beloved city of Jerusalem have been devastated. They've been torn down. They've been neglected. They've been burned. They've been mistreated. They've been disrespected. And Nehemiah's heart is hurt deeply because in this, in this passage, in chapter 2 and verse 3, Nehemiah says to the king, Let the king live forever. And why should my face not be sad? When the place, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and his gates have been consumed by fire. The king looked at him and said, Why are you so sad? Well, I'll tell you what, when you look upon the face of someone who lost their house to a tornado, or a flood or anything else, you'll see a sadness you haven't seen in a long time. Yeah, they're material possessions. Those material possessions belong to those people, and their hearts are hurting. And it is up to us, those that can help, to reach out and to help provide needs. An immediate action and need was seen and Nehemiah responded, and a God-given response was provided to him. And he set it in action to restore, rebuild, and to make it right again. Now, having considered several of these catastrophic event, events, which we have, we know that have wounded and disrupted lives in this nation and globally, let's now take a couple of minutes and just re- realize some of the efforts that were required to attempt to return an area back to some stage of normalcy. On the eruption of Mount St. Helens, we know that in dollar terms, the amount was a staggering $3.8 billion. And we need to realize this too, that the vast majority of the damage that was done was in wilderness and remote areas. It wasn't like in the big city setting of New York City. I don't know the dollar amount because it is still rising of what it's going to cost to restore the area where the World Trade Centers were. Even today, if you were to travel to Mount St. Helens, the entire dome of the mountain has been changed. The surrounding areas are still deeply scarred from this massive eruption. Old growth forests that had been there Hundreds, of, hundreds and even thousands of years are having to regrow because they were wiped out in a millisecond. Rivers and streams have been changed. Either they have been stopped, they no longer exist, or they have been removed to other sections. The landscape changed completely. Those many who perished in this initial eruption were never found, and countless fish and wildlife disappeared forever. Mankind has made all kind of attempts to recover this area and to restore this area and reclaim some of the land and the population. A group by the by the name of the Sierra Club built an army of people and volunteers who went into the area trying to to, to replant and restore, but to no avail. The devastation caused by this pyroclastic event still shows how powerful and deadly a volcanic eruption can be. During the thermonuclear meltdown at Chernobyl, tens of thousands of workers rallied in a deadly scenario, not not as much to restore, but as to halt the progression of the deadly nuclear rays which have caused several forms of cancer, poisoning of the air, the water supplies, and countless other health issues for those who have been exposed to the deadly fallout. Today, scientists have studied and they've predicted that this area will be, will be safe, it'll be ready to occupy for all of mankind, and to once again live in harmony and in freedom in this area in approximately 20,000 years. The entire area is a ghost town right now, where buildings, shopping marks, workplaces, playgrounds, and schools are completely devoid of life. The entire area is dead. Even with man's best recovery efforts, nothing more can safely be done to make the region livable again. In a recent documentary that I watched not long ago on uh, I think Discovery Channel or something like that, one of those channels, they were showing Chernobyl. And a film group had gone in and was videoing this thing and they were actually breaking the law by going into the area and they they had all the radiation protection that they could muster. And had all the instruments reading the amount of radiation that was in the air. And they they videoed these places. And at a small community school, there was a swing set and sliding boards and other little things out there where kids were playing or had been playing. And some of the swings were just swaying in the breeze. Empty. It looked like the apocalypse had taken place. It looked like the rapture had taken place. To me, in my mind, everything was taken away. Everything was gone. But the Bible teaches that that is exactly what's going to happen. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, when we least expect it, Jesus is going to come back. And he is going to take each and every one of us who have, who have trusted the Lord Jesus, he is going to take us away to be with him in the clouds. Amen? Amen? In Revelation, John says between chapters 3 and 4 that he's explaining something, and then all of a sudden in chapter 4 he says, and I looked upon the throne. Immediately he was in heaven. And that's how it's going to be for us, those who have trusted Jesus The World Trade Center complex recovery efforts, which is only one week away from 21 years past, is still in the rebuilding effort to once again be occupied by man and return to a state of normalcy as well. However, the threat of what one day might happen again looms deeply in the hearts and the minds of all Americans and of those people in New York City Even today, those who worked in the first days of the attack are experiencing many health issues due to the dust and the inhalation of toxic fumes of the fire. And I'm reminded, I'm reminded every September the 11th, on that anniversary, I remember firemen going into those buildings knowing that they would not come out, but they went anyway. Thank God for their their heroism and their their patriot spirit. Amen? They were willing to go. I can still recall and still vividly see it in my mind how they were digging through the rubble trying to find one person alive. Remember that? There was a, a... I think he worked for NBC. His name was Matt Lauer. You remember the name? Days after it had happened, during during the uh, Today Show, early part of it, they would show, the cameras would point toward where the World Trade Towers stood and the smoke would be pouring up. And he was trying to say it and he just broke down. He said, I just wish the smoke would stop. Those disasters cause us to need God more and more every day. Amen? We need Him today. The power and the enormity of flooding, tornadoes, droughts, and earthquakes of the past still scar the face and the landscape of America. And yet we go and we attempt to help to restore and to provide help to those who are in need. Yet there's one more disaster that I think we need to consider. It's the one involving people living and dying without Jesus Christ in their lives. That's the ultimate disaster. There is disaster relief For that though, and I'm going to share it with you in just a few minutes. You see in the book of Luke chapter 10 verses 1 and 2, we see Jesus appointing and sending out his followers into the land to share the love of God while healing and restoring hope in his name. In verse 1 it says, Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others, and he sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. In the following verses, we see Jesus providing specific instructions to those disaster relief workers, and he is arming them with heavenly power to face the onslaught of everything from famine to demonic forces. He informs them that they are not to be uh, armed with all kind of other things, but to be meagerly provisions to, to have on hand and to be bathed in something that we do a lot of here. And I admire this church for doing it. We pray. Amen? And when we are bathed in prayer, we are ready for warfare. Amen? I didn't mean for them to rhyme, but it did. Following this expedition, verse 17 tells us. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord... Even the demons are subject to us in your name. (coughs) Excuse me. Some people say these days we are living in uncertain times in America. And in the world. I respectfully disagree with that. See, the book of Acts teaches us, speaking of the angels... Telling men about Jesus' return in chapter one and verse 11, they also said, "You men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come again just the same way if you watched him go into heaven. You see, friends, the ultimate disaster is not the storm. It's not the earthquakes. It's not the terroristic attacks, the diseases, or the nuclear fallout, or the floods of waters. The ultimate disaster is to enter eternity as a lost soul. The ultimate disaster is for someone to pass from this life to the next without Jesus. Prayer is a powerful Powerful tool that we have as Christians. I remember and I recall this this so vividly. J.J. Krill and I were we went to visit this man. I'm not going to call his name, but as we were visiting with him, we asked him if he'd ever accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior, and he said. No, no, but I've got, I've got it on my mind to do that one day. And while we were in his hospital room, a doctor walked in and he said, are these your family members? And he said, no, but I don't care. You can tell me whatever you got to tell me. He said, you don't have long to live. The cancer is advanced to a certain stage. And you don't have long. And that day, when that doctor left there, we had prayer with him. And we left. The next day, we went back to see him. And I asked him, I said, Won't you accept Jesus? Won't you? Ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. And he looked at J.J. and me and he said, Boys, I've been waiting for you to come back. Tell me what i got to do to be saved. He didn't want to enter eternity without Jesus. Praying works, amen? Because when we left that hospital, we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And we called people we knew and we said, would you pray for this man that he will accept Jesus? That next night, those prayers were answered. He became a child of God. Maybe you know someone who's lost. Maybe you know someone who needs the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today and you don't know that to be certain, that you're saved. I'm not judging you. I'm just asking you to consider it about how much of God do you really want in your life today? We say that a lot. And we mean it. But the actions we take sometimes, they don't reflect that, do they? You see, on April the 29th of 1992, I was saved. I was told... That if I left a job and went to go, left that job early, I was going to church that Wednesday night. They say, if you, he told me, he said, if you leave here, the superintendent, he said, if you leave here, don't come back tomorrow. And I said, okay. And he stopped me He said, you're either choosing church or you're choosing this job. I said, I'll choose church. I didn't know I was about to choose Jesus. And thank God I did, because that night I gave my heart to Christ and I have been saved My name is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life in John chapter 10 and 28 says that there is nothing in this world that can snatch me from my Father's hands. You see, I wanted a lot of God in my life that day and I need God every day. Amen? Amen. For the Christians, the most effective disaster relief effort we can make is to pray. Pray. For those who are lost, those who are hard to reach, and those who are on the threshold of eternity. And if there is one here today that's unsure, I urge you give your heart to Jesus before you leave here. If you feel him tugging at your heart, don't walk away. I invite you today. We'll ask Brother Ken and Brother Ron to come and to begin to play. See, Jeremiah 29 says that if we seek God with all of our heart, that he'll be found. And the, the title of the question is, how much of God do we really want in our life today? You see, that's a question that only you can answer in your own hearts. Would you stand, please?